Thanks, Andrew. That was awesome. Guys, 180 stories are awesome. I don't know whose pencil this is, but sorry. Um, 180 stories are so great. So, so excited that we get to listen to those every week. But yeah, as Jared mentioned, my name is Randy. If you guys want to find out my original birth name, we can talk afterwards. It's a long story. But um, yeah, my, my name is Randy, in case you might have forgotten that already. Because I don't know about you guys, but I actually have a really hard time remembering people's names. Uh, the other day, for example, I was meeting with one of my guys in my community group, hanging out in his dorm, and I met his roommate. And like literally five minutes later, I could not for the life of me remember this kid's name. And what made it even worse is the next week I saw him on campus and I was like, hey, man, like, what's up? And then later I was like texting my friend. I was like, what's your roommate's name again? And then I was like, okay, if I see him again, I'll be like, what's up, Nathan? But um, yeah, I don't know about you guys, but does that happen to any of you guys? Like, man, especially in the beginning of the semester, meeting so many people, right, at crew and class and the dorms at different events, meeting all these names. And, you know, five minutes later, you totally forget. And what's funny is, even though we all do this, we're often so embarrassed about telling somebody, hey, I forgot your name. What is your name again? That we don't ask them again. And so we just kind of hope and pray. Maybe I'll overhear somebody else say it, and then I can rem like memorize it. Last year, I read a book titled, You're Not Listening, What You're Missing, Why It Matters. And it was really interesting and convicting for me, because I'm actually not a great listener. Uh, so it's a really good book. So if you're not a great listener, great read. Um, but the author, Kate Murphy, in one of her chapters, she describes this kind of name amnesia phenomenon by saying that actually oftentimes, us forgetting people's names is caused by distractions. She shares that when meeting people for the first time, we're often just so consumed by how we're coming across, how the other person might, per might be perceiving us, what we're going to say when it's our turn to introduce ourselves, or these kind of mini judgments we're making, sizing people up when we're first meeting people. And all the while, all these distractions cause us to totally miss the person's name. Goes in one ear and out the other. So basically, we forget people's names because we are completely consumed with ourselves. Our first and foremost thought is us. You are inherently self-centered. If you could see your thought bubble throughout the day from the morning you, moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you close your eyes at night, I think we would all be shocked to see how often our own name appears in our thought bubble. And this doesn't just affect our ability to remember people's names, but it actually affects most, like a, a lot of our community and a lot of our relationships. And I think it's actually, self-centeredness is actually one of the underlying reasons for much of the social anxiety that plague a reported 42% of college students today. Because the crippling fear of how people are perceiving you makes you feel isolated and, and avoidant of, of uh, social interactions environments? Or what about maybe the tendency towards comparison that kind of plague a lot of our relationships? And I think if this is, if you kind of fit in that boat, I think your conversations with others, your relationships with others can kind of look one of two ways. One, it's all just a competition, right? Each person is kind of wanting up each other, trying to prove themselves to one another until somebody kind of lands at top or on top. Or on the flip side, right, maybe your conversations are totally one-sided or just remain on the surface because you are, have such a low self-esteem in relation to other people that you just remain quiet and just only talk about the mere surface level things. And these comparisons and judgments that we make between ourselves and others, which can either lead to pride or insecurity, are both a result of this inherent self-centeredness that is in each, each, in each, of, each and every one of us. So as we can see from these examples, self-centeredness affects so much of our relationships. And truly, we could spend the rest of the night, right, just talking about the ways that this is pervasive in our lives and how it can destroy our relationships and ultimately our community. 
But as we've been studying this fall, we've been looking at the gospel-centered community, and we've been studying that God created us for community, and not for surface-level, uncomfortable, self-centered community, but vibrant, deep, authentic, transformative, and humble community. So how do we get out of our own head? How do we take the focus off of ourselves and start to think and love other people? How do we experience some of these relationships and these types of communities that we've been talking about this fall? How can we cultivate a humble community where everybody feels seen, heard, known, and loved? Our passage tonight, I think, has the solution. Because we're going to see that because Jesus is everything, we are free to be nothing. Because Jesus is everything, we are free to be nothing. And that's my hope for each one of you here tonight, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, that you would not only see, but you would truly believe and be able to trust in the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for you as the only solution, the only way that we can truly forget about ourselves and step out in love towards other people and truly get to know them. And I think this truth, once we really embody and kind of uh, can understand this truth, it has two great benefits. One, it actually will fuel a deeper and genuine love for, for Jesus and give us a lot of the joy that, Jesus, that Johnny talked about last week. But also, it will fuel a genuine love for other people that will actually allow us to step out and have some of these great relationships that are really life-giving. So before we dive in, let me go ahead and pray for us. Heavenly Father, so thankful for this evening, this opportunity to share from your word. Thank you for each of the men and women that are here that gave up their Thursday night to listen to your word. Oh Lord, I pray that you would be in this room. Oh Lord, that you would open up the, the eyes of our heart um, and show us the ways that we are self-centered and show us the ways that we need to trust in you. Would you be uh, yeah, with us? Uh, would you be glorified in our time? I pray in your son's name, amen. So if you have a Bible, we're going to go ahead and turn to Philippians 2. Uh, as Jared mentioned, yeah, please use those, those Bibles in the center of your table. If you're using one of the blue ones, it's in, I think, page 570, and the white ones somewhere in the Bible. Um, I was going to write it down, but I forgot. So yeah, 570, Philippians 2. And as Jared mentioned, too, if you guys don't have a Bible, please take this. Like, we in crew really want to be, we want it to, to bless you guys and give that as a gift, because we really think it's important for everybody to have a physical Bible. Um, so we're going to be looking at Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and this is actually my favorite passage in the whole Bible. And I think part of that is because on my very first crew summer mission, which you're going to hear a lot about summer missions with crew in the coming weeks, but on my very first crew summer mission, we actually studied and memorized this passage. So that's probably why I love it, but I think also I love it because it paints a beautiful portrait of Christ's humility and his love for each and every one of us, as well as what a Christ-centered humility in the context of community can actually look like. So we're going to read the passage, and then we're actually going to go back through and unpack it, considering three questions. The first one is, what is humility and what is it not? What is humility and what is it not? How is Jesus everything? Because I said that's the solution, right, is that Jesus is everything. And in light of that, what is the freedom of self-forgetfulness? What is the freedom of self-forgetfulness? So let's go ahead and read Philippians 2. So if there's an is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I said our first question is, what is humility and what it's not? Um, And I actually want to start by looking at what humility isn't before we talk about what it is. And I think there's two common ways that we can commonly misunderstand humility and what it looks like. And the first is that uh, the way that we think about humility is we actually know something good about ourselves, like a strength or a God-given ability that we have, and we think, how do I have a perspective on this, or how do I share this with other people, or how do I talk about this in a way that doesn't sound prideful? So, for example, you know, we kind of use, use this word humble brag, right? So, okay, like, how can I brag about this, but in a humble way? Like, how can I share about this in, in a way that doesn't sound prideful? And I think one of the ways I kind of see this play out is maybe, maybe you guys have seen this too, right? For people that go to the gym, right? It's a very common, I think, trend right now to t- take those pictures of your gym gains. And it's like, how do I word that caption, right? In a way that's like, talks about all the work I've been into this and all these great things that are happening to my body, but also in a way that's like, oh, it's not me. You know, it's, I can do all things through Christ, obviously, right? So that's, that's why I'm bulking up. <laughs> so that's kind of the first way, right? It's like, hey, there's actually something true that's great or good about my life, but how do I like phrase it or give it a different perspective that doesn't sound so like self-centered? And the second way is kind of the op- opposite of that. We can see humility as kind of being the same as basically just having a low self-esteem or a poor self-image. So in order to be humble, I actually have to downplay and down, like kind of degrade myself and kind of downplay everything about myself and kind of beat myself into humility. Like if I don't think I'm very great, then I won't be prideful. Like to not be self-centered, I just have to like pretend and just tell myself that I suck <laughs> and that I'm really bad. And, and we laugh, but I think a lot of us actually do this, right? And I think one of the ways that we see this is if, if you're really bad at taking compliments. Right? Somebody's like, hey, you look really nice today. And you're like, oh, yeah, but I've been you know, putting on five pounds. And it's like you immediately have something negative to say. And like, you just kind of want to avoid compliments because you're like, well, man, if I start to believe that, then I'm going to start to become prideful. And what I think is really ironic about kind of these two common ways that we misunderstand humility is that they actually are both in and of themselves extremely self-centered. They're both actually spending more time thinking about how, what we're saying, how we're doing things and on, on, on us and they trap us in this kind of downward spiral of self-absorption. So how should we think rightly about humility? One of my favorite definitions of humility comes from C.S. Lewis, and he famously defines it this way, not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And actually in our passage, Paul says something very similar. Let's look back at verses three and four where he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So there's kind of this other-centeredness in the way that he talks about humility that should be present in a Christian community, and by extension, our community. So to Paul, humility is valuing other people's needs and interests above your own. 
And Jesus actually kind of says something similar to this too. He phrases it this way in Matthew 22, 39. He says, and a second great commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So I think at the end of the day, humility is really just loving other people as much as we love ourselves. Because if we truly loved other people the same as we love ourselves, we would think about them just as much, much as we think about ourselves. And we would value them just as much as we value ourselves. And I want us to imagine for a moment what this would look like if we all truly lived this out. If we all truly loved people this way. This competitiveness that we can sometimes feel between us and other people, and this comparison would be gone. A lot of the social anxiety and the fear of how people are perceiving you and how people are, yeah, are feeling towards you and, and how you can interact, all this stuff would be gone. Emotional and physical needs would be met. And each of us would feel seen, heard, known, and loved and experience vibrant, transformative relationships that were full of depth, intimacy, and joy. It'd be great, right? That's, I think, what all of us crave and desire. Author and pastor Tim Keller describes what it would be like to, some, to meet somebody who truly lived this out in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. He says, the thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Have you guys ever met somebody that embodies this? Somebody who, when you're talking to them, they make you feel like you're the only person in the room. Or when you're talking to them, you feel like they must be writing a biography on your life because of how much curiosity and interest and value they show in and towards you. And I've had, I've had the, the privilege uh, of knowing people like this, and I, it's surreal, and it's truly transformed my life to be in relationship with these people. And I think why that's so impactful, if you've ever even got a sliver of this in your life, is because it's a lot of, it's a lot of the way that uh, God sees and loves us. And that leads us to our next question. Because earlier I said the solution to our self-centeredness is that Jesus is everything. And maybe some of you guys were like, that doesn't even, even sound like correct grammar. Like, what does that even mean? So we're gonna unpack that. And then the third question, like I said, is how does that free us to be nothing? So how is Jesus everything? Let's reread verses five through eight. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. From eternity past, God has existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think for many of us, we kind of had this tendency to think that before Jesus was born in his human body 2,000 years ago, he didn't exist. Not that maybe you would say that, like, because that's, you're like, I feel like that maybe sounds like heretical or something, which it is. But I think oftentimes the kind of the way we think about Jesus is like, yeah, Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, and before that, he wasn't really, like, he just wasn't there. But as we see in this passage, that's not true. That before that miraculous day 2,000 years ago, on that Christmas day that we celebrate, right, or we celebrate on Christmas, when the transcendent, eternal, holy Son of God took on flesh and became a man, he had already eternally existed. And that's what the point that Paul is making here. He says, even though Jesus was in the form of God, that's basically just saying, though he was divine in and of himself, he's fully God, and he had equality with God. Even though he had that, he didn't consider it a thing to be grasped, which you're probably like, what the heck does that mean? 
Some of your translations maybe said a thing to be taken advantage of, something to be used for his own benefit. But instead, so instead of going and trying to gather all these people, trying to gather tons of power and acclaim while he's on earth and just having all these followers and wealth, instead he came and he came as a humble person. He humbled himself by becoming a man and eventually dying on the cross. And I think we can kind of breeze past these verses or breeze past this truth, but we have to stop and really let this sink in. This is actually the hinge point of my whole message, and this is, I think, actually the hinge point of the Christian life, is if we don't understand this truth, then nothing else really makes sense. We're doing all these other things for the wrong reasons. We don't have the, great, the correct understanding. In a, in a way that I think can, can at least helps me kind of think about this and the gravity of this humility that Jesus showed by becoming a man. Just think about transcendent, holy God, right? All-powerful, over everything. In the Old Testament, we have these examples or these, uh, these uh, situations and, and instances where God gives people a visible, a visible sign. So when he, led, when he led the people out of Israel, or sorry, out of Egypt with Moses, um, leading them through the, through the wilderness, it was a... Uh, pillar of cloud by night, fire, whatever, right? You know, but fire, cloud, but he gave them a visible sign, right? And then in the temple, it was a Shachanah glory that filled the temple. They could see the smoke and this, this kind of cloud in the temple. So they could see a visible sign. Even that is pretty crazy that God would stoop down and give them a visible sign. So how much more then, how much a greater thing, how much a bigger sacrifice, how much more glorious is the humiliation and condescension of the Son of God, taking on lowly humanity, living among us sinful people, and allowing himself to be subject to the limitations of humanity, experiencing things like hunger, thirst, tiredness, sadness, rejection, pain, suffering, and ultimately death. And not just like a dying or sleep peacefully type of death, but an excruciating, painful, and publicly humiliating death that he didn't deserve. Paul phrases it this way in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Friends, he valued you, and you, and you, in you, in you, his creation, men and women created in his image, he valued you so much that he was willing to temporarily give up his richness, his, yeah, his riches, and become a man, and ultimately suffer the penalty of our sins, your sins, on the cross, so that you might become rich in him. If that doesn't make him everything, I don't know what does. But what's more than just his humility, making him everything, is actually his exaltation as well. Let's reread verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I always think there should be an amen there, because I feel like naturally you just want to say amen after that. But man, we see in this passage, right, that God has exalted him. God has given him this great glory. He really is everything. Because if we really want to take ourselves out of the center of our thought bubble, the only way we can truly do that is by replacing it with something better, someone better, someone more worthy. And that's Jesus. 
Jesus is not just our example, friends. He, not, he didn't just come here to say, live like me. This is the humble way. But he came as our solution. He is indeed everything for you so that you don't have to be. You are free to be nothing. And that leads us to our last question. What is the freedom of self-forgetfulness? What is the freedom of self-forgetfulness? Let's look again at verses one through five. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant as your, uh, than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So there's two different aspects that I want to kind of draw out from this first five verses that as it relates to humility and self-forgetfulness. And the first is that these uh, character traits that he's, he's uh, describing that should be present in a Christian community, uh, he's saying that they should, they should be a natural outflow of having a relationship with Jesus. And we see that because he uses this if-then statement. And if you've ever taken a logic class, so there's you know, computer science, math, or philosophy people, you've taken a logic class, right? The if-then statements. And we don't really see the then. The then's kind of implicit. But he says a bunch of ifs, and then he gives a then. He's saying, if you have experienced any encouragement in Christ, if you have experienced any comfort from the love of Christ, if you have received the Spirit and have seen him work in your life in any way, if you truly know Christ in the power of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, then your relationships should be marked by these things. Unity, humility, love, and ultimately Christ-likeness. And that brings us, to me, brings us to the second aspect that I want to draw out. And that's found in verse 5, where he says, have this mind among yourselves. This mind is, again, those, those things, those character traits that he's saying should be present in Christian community. He's saying, have, these, have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, hey, these things should be present, and they're actually already yours. How? Well, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, when you made the decision to pl place your faith in Christ and his saving work for your sin, uh, on the cross for your sins, you were indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and Christ's holiness and righteousness were imputed to you, which just means transferred from him to you. You are now a new creation. And the Bible says that now this new life that you're living is actually not your life. It's actually the life of Christ being lived out through the Holy Spirit. Paul describes it this way in Galatians 2.20, saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Old Randy is dead. Old Randy's been crucified. He's gone. But Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the freedom of self-forgetfulness, the secret of true humility, is just believing and living out and trusting the gospel. And Tim Keller, bless you, Tim Keller describes the gospel, the good news of Christianity this way, and I think his definition is really helpful for, for allowing it to sink in and really thinking through what this means for us. Tim Keller describes the gospel this way. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So friends, it's only and only once we truly internalize this truth 
that you are more loved and accepted in Jesus than you could ever imagine, you could ever dream. Despite your sin, despite your shortcomings, despite your failures, despite your, fa- your, uh, your fallenness, your brokenness, it's only once we truly internalize that and believe that, that we can truly be free from self-centeredness. And once we believe that, we really are free. We can be free from being consumed by how other people are viewing us, with how much worth we might have in their eyes, with how we kind of measure up to them, or free from trying to prove ourselves to other people or to God in order to gain their love or approval. And instead, we can step out in love towards other people. Rather than seeing them as competition or things we have to kind of measure ourselves with, we can see them as people created in the image of God, celebrating how God has made them and who he's made them to be. And we can look to their interests and their needs and even help move and go meet their needs and together experience the type of humble community that God has created us for. And this is all because Jesus, the eternal Son of God, valued and loved you, that he became everything for you, so that you would be freed up to forget about yourself and truly love and value others. And if we just try to do this, if we try to do the second thing, I'm just going to try to love and value others without first believing the gospel and truly letting that be our our foundation, it's not going to work. It's going to leave you either burnt out and be like, man, I just, kind of what we talked about, you know, and if you guys were in community group this week, right, kind of resigned. It's like, man, that's too too hard. I just can't do it. Or it'll leave you feeling prideful and self-righteous, like, dude, I'm really good at being humble, which obviously, as we talked about, is not actually being humble, right? So we can't actually do it on our own. We have to have Jesus as the center, and the gospel has to be the core of what we're believing. And if you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, do you recognize that you are enslaved to self-centeredness, and that anything you do to try to rid yourself of self-centeredness is not gonna work? Well, hopefully, as we've looked at tonight, you'll see that Jesus really is the only solution. He's really the only way you can be free from self-centeredness. And you can turn and receive and trust in the love and grace that he has for you. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want to ask you, are you allowing the truth that Jesus is everything to propel you out, into love, or out, out to love other people? Or are you being caught up in trying to be everything yourself? Are you being caught up in, in yourself? Are you okay being a nobody because Jesus was, everything, was a somebody for you? So as we wrap up here, as we close, I want to leave you all with two simple ways that we can begin to live this out this week and become a humble community. And again, I mean, uh, I want to remind us, right, that just doing these things doesn't make us humble, but it's really from a place of being rooted in the gospel. And that's why the very first way is actually to meditate on Christ's humility, his glory, and his love through the word and prayer. Because the first step in becoming a humble community is to root yourself in the gospel and the love of Christ. And the two best ways that we can internalize that truth, this truth, the best way we can root ourselves, I think that, I love that illustration of root ourselves, right? Thinking about a tree or a plant, it grows roots down deep so it can be firm and strong when things hit it, right? The, only, the two best ways that I think we can truly root ourselves in these truths is through the prayer and through reading the Bible. And not just on your own, but also in the context of community. So become a student of God's word. Read it, study it, Memorize it, meditate on it, which means just like to chew on it and dwell on it. Pray through it and tell it to each other. 
but also spend focused, dedicated time in prayer, confessing to God your self-centeredness, your inability to live and love the way that he has called you to, and ask him to empower you to remember the gospel, to forget about yourself and truly step out in love towards others. And the second way is to move intentionally toward others. And again, even though I just said this, but I just want to remind you, right? Remind each of us that doing these things is not going to make us more humble. We have to first, again, remember the gospel, allow that to root us and allow us to propel us out in love and intentionality towards others. Because again, as Paul showed us in Philippians 2, love, unity, and ultimately humility are the natural outflow of a heart that has been truly transformed by the grace of God. And intentionally moving towards people in gospel-centered self-forgetfulness can look like a lot of different things. So I just want to give you guys a couple of suggestions, a couple of ways that maybe this could look like for you this week, but obviously you can think through a lot of ways yourself. So maybe for you at community group next week, if you don't have somebody's number, ask them for their number and ask them if you could learn more about where they're at spiritually and what God is doing in their life. Or next time you're eating dinner, next week at the table, when you're eating together at your table, be really intentional about asking good questions and listening well. And try to learn as much as you can about who God has made that person to be. Or maybe ask your roommate or a classmate the sometime question. The sometime question is actually like a really easy tool to use, or like, not tool, it's just literally a question. But it just, the question is this. Would you want to go grab coffee sometime so I can hear more of your story? Super simple, right? But it's taking that intentionality. Or maybe write a note of encouragement to a friend or a roommate, especially if that roommate or friend is somebody that's either hard to love or that you kind of constantly find yourself comparing yourself to them. And lastly, try keeping a prayer journal. And this next week, ask people in your community group, ask your friends and your family, your classmates, your roommates for prayer requests and try to be consistent with about praying for those people this next week. And as we close, I just want to remind us all that because Jesus is everything, we are free to be nothing, to forget about ourselves and truly love and value others. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and thank you, Jesus, that you were everything for us so that we do not have to be everything ourselves, that we can be free to be nothing, that we can get out of the way, we can focus on you, and we can step out in faith Uh, and love other people. Lord, would you remind us of the gospel this week as we spend time in your word and spend time in prayer and spend time in community. Would you use our community to remind each other of the gospel that we would truly be a humble community. I pray, amen.